Good morning. I hope and trust that you guys got through your 40 days of generosity. A little book. Um, in all honesty, in full disclosure, I read three days this morning, just so I could say I completed the 40 days of generosity. <laughs> and the last three days were phenomenal. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that um, yourself. Um, a couple announcements. We do... We do want to remind you that Good Friday is this Friday, and uh, one of the most powerful services at Valley is that Good Friday service. I quite, can't quite understand it except for to say that God visits us every Good Friday, and it's a powerful time, so we'd love to invite you and be a part of that. Also, after the service today, if you are in a life group, or if you've ever been in a life group, we're having a life group luncheon in the Family Life Center, um, uh, just kind of a, a fellowship of those people who are living life together. If you're not in a life group, um, that's why you should be in a life group. And so uh, after service, see you over there, and uh, I'd love to hang out with everybody, and we'll get to see everybody who's a part of one. Um, as we uh, continue in this campaign, you need to understand there was a first part of the campaign, the second part of the campaign. We have, are coming to close the first part of the campaign today, and at the very end of the service, we'll close out the first part of the campaign. And then the second half of the campaign uh, we're going to be describing to you what Mission Possible is. Uh, you've seen it on a banner. You've seen it on videos. You see it as you walk out, Mission Possible. We'll begin to get you information uh, via mail and whatnot of what Mission Possible is and what we're, what we're hoping the future of the Valley is within Mission Possible. So just to be expecting that, all right? Um, so for today, uh, we want to ask the question and, uh, and kind of ponder. I don't know if you've ever thought of this before. Why does God bless people with resources? Why does God bless some people with resources? You ever thought about that? Why does he bless some people with resources? I'll give you an example. If you could just have kept up with the, the raises that CEOs have received in the last 25 years, you see, if, if you were a CEO in the 1980s, you could expect that your wage would be about 25 times that of your employees. However, today, a CEO earns 500 times the wages of his employees. Got that off of an article online by Dr. Jack Erasmus. Why does God bless some people with resources? You know, during this last recession, the top 1% of the country, earnings-wise, the top 1% um, absorbed over half the income losses between 2007 and 2009. So if you were in the top percentile of earning wages, this last downturn, you actually got half of the losses. However, in the first year of the recovery, the top percentile won 93% of all income gains. So for a time there, it seemed like the rich were coming down, and, and then the recovery hit. Oh, no, no, they're right back up there again. Got that from the Atlantic.com article entitled, The Rich Get Richer. 2010 was a good year to be the top 1%. Why does God bless some people with resources? Why does he bless some people with resources? I have a friend, um, goes to this church, a good man, and 
his wife and my wife and I were all just talking together. It was after a church service. And somehow the topic got to hobbies. And, you know, I love to fish and basketball. Haven't, you know, been able to do that that much. A new hobby of mine is running. So we're talking. My wife says her hobbies and his wife says her hobbies. And comes his turn. What's his hobby? And uh, his wife goes, well, wait a second. Let me just tell you this. My husband's hobby is making money. And I'm not trying to be mean or, or bad. I'm just saying his hobby is, he's, anything he touches turns to gold. He's just good. That's his hobby. He makes money. Why does God bless people with resources? I have another friend. Uh, met him a, maybe two months ago at a birthday party, kind of reacquainting, and he was telling me about all his life and how he's part of this job, and they fly him all around the country, and he's good at it, makes a lot of good, good, makes good money. He's good at his job. And we, again, somehow the conversation goes towards, towards, towards you know, different ventures in our life, and he starts telling me about this entrepreneurial venture that he had. He said, years ago, I, you know, kind of started this business. I said, well, tell me about the business. Well, it's one of those business things where you buy a spot on the radio and, and you purchase a spot and, and you say, buy this product and you give them a phone number and they call in and they buy the product that you're selling. I said, really? He said, yeah. And uh, I said, how much did you invest into this venture? He goes, oh, $20,000. Let me just tell you this. If you ever come to me and say, I have this great idea, I'm going to spend $20,000, I'm going to buy a spot on the radio, and people are going to call in and buy my product, I'm going to say, you're crazy. <laughs> but not this guy. <laughs> He's just one of those guys. Buys a spot on the radio, didn't work, changes the time, and all of a sudden phone calls start coming in. Phone call after phone call after phone call. He's in a different part of the country doing his job trying to answer phone calls and try to get, it's so much business, he has to hire somebody full-time to take care of the business for him. It does so well, eventually he ends up selling the business. Oh, only multiple times what he ever put into it. Why does God bless some people with money? Why does God bless some people with resources? One last friend. This guy's a pastor. Good friend of mine. Ends up going with some friends to a TV show called The Price is Right. You ever heard of it? You might not know this, but the way they do Price is Right is they interview everybody before they, hit the, before they, they sit in their stands. And so... If this was the room of the Price is Right, all of you would have been interviewed before you took a seat. And based on those interviews, they decide on who's going to play the game, right? So lo and behold, they call his name out of nowhere, and he's playing the game. He comes up to the front where there's four contestants, and they bring out a toaster or a microwave, and you have to guess the price. And if you come closer to the price of that toaster or microwave, you get to play the game. You get to come on the stage, right? So at first... He gets through the first round, he gets up front. Then he guesses the price of the microwave and he's on the stage. Then he's on TV. Of course, he plays his game, he does fairly well. In the middle of the show, they do this thing where you, you gotta grab this, the handles and you spin this wheel. And if you get close to, the, to a dollar, uh, you get to be in the final showcase showdown. 
Well, what do you know? After spinning that wheel twice, he actually adds up to a dollar exactly. Which we all know, if, it, if you go to a dollar, you get a thousand bucks. And then they allow you to spin it again. And if you can hit the dollar again, you get $10,000. So he picks it, he spins it, and what happens? He hits the $10,000 price. So he's in the showcase showdown with one other person, and this thing happens where they show you, you could win this if your price is right, and you could win this. And there's two contestants vying for two different showcases, and if your price is closer to the price of the, uh, of the showcase, you win, you win the showcase. Of course, in his showcase is a brand new car. And he puts out his price, and she puts out her price. And wouldn't you know it, his price is closer, and he won the car. He won the whole show. He left that day with $25,000 plus in earnings for going to the prices right. Why does God bless some people? I'm even a better pastor than he is. Why does God bless some people? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever asked that question? That's the question that we're going to be asking this morning. We're going to see if the Bible will answer it for us. Why does God bless some people with resources? Why is his blessing of God on some believers? What is the purpose in allowing children, his children, to be blessed with resources? And for that, we're going to go to the book of 2 Corinthians. Turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're new, there's a Bible in the pew. And if you can't find it, it's very hard to find. Go to the first page in your Bible. It's an index there. It'll tell you what page it's on. If you have a Bible just like mine, you'll be on page 979. I don't think you have my Bible, though, because it's a special edition. Signed by Jesus himself. No, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> that's horrible. It's for sale, though. I'll sell it afterward. Horrible. Why does God bless some people? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Why does God bless some people? We're going to start at verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. It says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not out of reluctancy or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness so that you'll be made rich in every way. Let's stop there. Why does God bless some people? You know, it's interesting. Paul is writing, and he starts off with something that I'm going to call the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. 
it's, it's kind of a general principle, kind of a general truth, a proverb, so to speak. You reap what you sow. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Uh, it's kind of the idea that you get out of something what you put into something. Okay? I think like a farmer. I have so many seeds. If I put a lot of them out, I can expect at harvest time there to be a lot of harvest. If I put few of them out, I can expect at the harvest time there'll be a few harvests, right? You get that which you put into something is the idea. You might have done that this week. Some of you bought 100 lotto tickets. There's $640 million out there to be won. And you told yourself, if, if, if I just buy one lotto ticket, I have one in 176 billion of a chance of winning. But if I buy 100 lotto tickets, I still have a greater chance of being hit out of like some airplane part falling out of the sky. And so you bought 100 lotto tickets to hope to increase your odds. Kind of the same thing. You still didn't win. Because we'd have heard. <laughs> and what he's saying is just like a farmer has to decide at some point, what am I going to do with these resources? I have a harvest. I have seeds now. I must take a portion of the seeds for me to feed on this year. I must take a portion of the seeds to, 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 to plant next year so I can harvest more the year after that. And then I take a portion of the seeds and give to God. And he's saying, just like a, like a farmer has to consider what he's going to do, I want you to consider it too. When you're investing in the kingdom of God, take time to sit down and consider what you're going to do. Plan ahead. Have a plan. Don't do things out of compulsion. Don't do things out of reluctancy. Plan it out and be cheerful. You know what he's saying, right? He's trying to come to this church in, in Corinthians, and he said, listen, you guys, there is a sister church in Jerusalem, and that church is hurting really bad. They need help, and you guys can help them. But please don't help them out of compulsion. Please don't help them out of sorrow. Please don't help them out of grief. Don't help them out of reluctancy. What kind of heart is that? No. Give to them cheerfully. There's believers who need help. We want to give to them cheerfully. That's why we say we don't want to pressure you into doing anything. Please don't ever give if you're feeling pressured by anything. No, no, no. We want to educate you. We want to liberate you. We want to tell you about this principle in Scripture about being generous and let God work in you. But don't give out of necessity. It's the wrong heart. And then he kind of takes it up a notch. He takes this law of the harvest up a notch. It's kind of like the law of the harvest on drugs. The law of the harvest on PEDs. You know what that is? Performance-enhancing drugs. God adds PEDs to the law of the harvest. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. could be said, all grace overflow to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. All things, all times, all that you need, every good work. It's like he's trying to make a point. God is able to make grace abound to you, overflow to you. 
Specifically, how does he do that? I told you the farmer has to decide, keep this for the family, keep this for planting next year. How much do I give to God? And he almost addresses that that thoughtful process in the next verse. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. And verse 10, now he who supplies seed, who supplies seed? Now God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will do what? He will supply and increase your store of seed. Is it in his word? Is it in his word? He will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you'll be made rich in every way. You know, I was studying this and I was translating it and looking at it. There's three things that he'll do. Three things in this whole process. Keep this for the family. This is for next year. This is what I give to you. Three things I'll do. The first one is I'll supply. The second one is I'll multiply. And the third one is I will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. Supply. It's interesting. That word means supply. It has the idea. It'd be like this picture. Uh, there is a local playhouse in the city or in the town, and, and there is somebody who supplies or, or who pays for or who underwrites the chorus for the play. That's how it can be used. It's almost as if God is saying, if you'll step up and you'll take the lead role and be a partner with me in this thing, we can make a playwright situation be better than Broadway. Together in this partnership, I'll supply the lead chorus. If you'll step up and be a partner with me, we can make a masterpiece together. He'll supply. He'll multiply the store of seed. I don't know how much I should give the Lord because I need this for my family and I need this to invest. Wait a second. God can, he can multiply the store. He can increase it. And why would he do that? He do that so he can cause the harvest, uh, the, the harvest of your righteousness to grow. So that it can be said of you that you're being made rich in every way. Why does he do it? So that you can be generous. Here's the whole point, guys. God can and will multiply your resources when you use them for his purposes. God can and will multiply your resources when you use them for his purposes. You've got to remember that, that this is the God that can replenish the deficit that you give to him. This is the God that can augment your loss. Now, I have to stop here because this is where we as conservative Christians get a little scared. Because there's this whole health, wealth gospel out there and this prosperity gospel out there that says that, you know, God wants you to be rich. And if you're a believer, you should be rich. And if you're not rich, it's because you're not a good believer. You're not mature. In fact, I can, I can, I can evaluate your maturity in the faith by looking at your W-2. There's this whole movement out there that's way over here. We get scared of that. We know that's not true. And so what we've done is we've swung all the way over here. And we've left the Bible. 
Because although I don't believe God wants you to be rich, the leaders of this church don't necessarily believe that God wants you to be rich. It doesn't negate the truth that he blesses you when you give to his purposes. It doesn't negate that. It's true. It's in his word. It's like this. You give, and then God blesses. And then you give, and then God blesses. And then you give more, and God blesses. So that you can give more, and God blesses. It is a vicious cycle of generosity. You give, and you give more. And you give, and you give more. And you give, and you give more. Is there anybody out there who says, I want to give more? God can multiply, and he will multiply your resources when you're using them for his purposes. It's like he's saying, that person gives, and when I bless them, I bet you they'll give more. And so I'm going to bless them so that they can give more. And I'll bless them, and they'll give more. A vicious cycle of generosity. It's kind of ironic. The last time I spoke two weeks ago, I was speaking out of the book of Haggai. And, um, you know, it's funny. Um, speaking out of the book of Haggai in the Old Testament, people will go, oh, well, that's in the Old Testament. I have to believe that. So this time I thought I'd go to the New Testament. <laughs> we got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> it's in the New Testament too. <laughs> You're going to have to start doing it now. So I was speaking on the book of Haggai chapter 1, and we, and we looked at how when you're stingy with God's resources, how he can just make them disappear. They can do, he, can, he can just do that. He can make them disappear. And today we're learning in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians, that when you're generous with his money, however, he can multiply the resources. Why does God bless some people with resources? He blesses them so they will be generous with them. Why does God bless some people with resources? He does it so they'll be generous. Why does God bless people with resources? Because he knows they'll be generous with it. Give, give more. Give and give more. And give and give more. But you say to yourself, I can't give. There's just no way we can give. There's no way we can make a commitment before God to give on a regular basis. If you just saw Big Dave, if you just looked at my bank account, you would see that we cannot give. There's no space. I want to share with you a little story. It's from the Old Testament, and if you want to look it up later, you can. Right now, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you and give it to you, but it's there, I promise. It comes out of... 1 Kings chapter 17. You write that down if you want to check it out later. 1 Kings 17. And it's a cute little story, kind of quick, not, not long. And the idea is that there is famine in the land. What that means is there's no food. And there's drought in the land. What that means is there's no rain. There's no way to make food when you don't have rain. So there's no food anywhere. And God says to his prophet Elijah, I want you to go to this town. And when you go to this town, I've commanded this lady there to give you food. I've commanded this widow to give you food. It's a really interesting story. God, I'm hungry. I'm your prophet doing your work. And you're going to send me to this town. There's going to be a lady there, and she's a widow. And she's the one that you want to feed me. Isn't that interesting? Of all the people, the people who have nothing, the people who have even less resources, I want this widow to be the one to feed you. 
Elijah doesn't question God, and he goes to that city, and he sees a lady and says, give me some water. So she gives him some water, and she goes, oh, and by the way, can you give me something to eat too? And she looks at Elijah, and she says to him, I have no food. There is no food. Elijah, all I have is a handful of flour and, and just a little bit of oil in a jug. And I was going to mix those together tonight and make a meal for me and my son. Now, he, she's a widow with a son. And we were going to have this meal together and literally resign ourselves to die after that. There is no food in the land. There's famine. There's drought. We have nothing. Elijah, all I have is this last meal that I'm going to share with my son, and then we're going to die. And Elijah looks at her and he goes, Perfect. It's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to make that meal, but just, just give me some first. Really? Really? Give you some first. You pick a widow out of everybody with a baby. They're about to die. Their last meal, and you want some first. And then he tells her this. For the Lord has told me the jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. He says, widow, I know you're scared, and I, and I, know, I know you feel like you have nothing to give God, but I promise you, if you'll use the handful of flour and the oil, and you mix it together, and you make a meal, I promise you, you'll come back tomorrow, and there'll still be flour, and there'll still be oil, and you'll be able to make a meal. And the next day when you come back, there'll still be flour, and still be oil, and you'll be able to make a meal. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, months, until God says the famine's over, you will have something. Because God will not allow anyone who gives to him, and, and gives to his cause, and gives to the kingdom, to go without. He won't allow it. So the question is, can you trust God who promises to not let you die from lack of sustenance when you're underwriting his cause? Can you trust him? Of course, the second question's harder. Will you trust him? And what will God do with this generosity anyways? What would result if we actually took up the call and started giving? What happens when somebody is generous? Let's look at verse 11. You'll be made rich in every way so that, in, so that you can be generous in every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the suppressing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable, for his indescribable gift. What happens when we're generous in short form thanksgiving? Thanks. And then specifically, three things happen. First, there's an overflow of thanksgiving to God. You're generous. The people who accept your generosity, oh my gosh, 
God, you've provided for me. And they thank God. And what first was an overflow and an abundance of resources for you turns out to be an overflow and an abundance of thanksgiving to God. Secondly, God is glorified. They praise God or literally glorify God through this evidence of ministry because of the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. This puts feet to your faith. This is the put up or shut up time. And Corinthian church, you do remember that everybody knows now that you had that whole moral issue with the son-in-law sleeping with the mother-in-law and you let them take communion. You didn't do anything about it. Everybody is wondering, are you real? Are you fake? Are you real? Are you fake? When you give like this, they say to themselves, oh no, that church is really real. They really do love the Lord. It's evidence. And then thirdly, they overflow in thanksgiving to God. They glorify God, and then they long for you in prayer. Isn't that interesting? God, you have supplied my needs through these people. Would you bless them? Oh, I thank you for supplying my needs to these people. I give you glory for it. And would you bless them? And ironically enough, the very thing that he might use to bless you is their prayers. So that you give. They praise God and pray for you. Would you bless them? He blesses. You give more. They praise God. They say thank you. Would you bless them? He blesses. You give more. The very thing that he might use to bless you again is their prayers of thanksgiving for you. Well, what would cause somebody to give this way? In verse 15, he wraps it all up. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It can't be the gift that they're giving to Jerusalem because we could describe that. It's got to be referring to Christ. What would cause somebody to give this way, to be this generous? What would cause somebody to be crazy and do that? Why would they do that? Oh, maybe because God would send his son to die on a cross for their sin. And he would do it when they loved their sin more than they loved him. He would take their punishment on the cross regardless and offer freedom from the penalty of sin, eternity in hell, if they would believe in the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. When people get their minds wrapped around that and what that really means, they say to themselves, Oh my goodness, thank you for this indescribable gift. And how can I not give back to that God? And how much should I give to this God that's given everything for me? You cannot give him. By the way, in Romans 15, we find out that this Corinthian church did, in fact, give to the Jerusalem church. They answered Paul's call. But the question's still before us. Will you answer his call? Will you be generous? But you say, Big Dave, I'm not the CEO. I'm not the guy that makes 500 times my workers. I'm not in the top one percentile of the country earnings-wise. I'm not one of those people that everything turns to gold for. I'm not the guy that has this entrepreneurial business on the side that puts something on the radio and it just money comes in. I'm not even the pastor who goes on a game show and wins money. And I would say to you, you're right. You're not. Neither am I. But let me tell you what you are. 
Can I tell you what you are? If you make at least $25,000 a year, you are amongst the 10% richest people in the world. Of the 6.6 billion people in the world, 3 billion of them live on less than $2 a day. 1 billion of them live on less than $1 a day. Less than 6% of the world lives in the United States. There's only 300 million of us. And yet we collectively own half of the world's wealth. If you own a car, even an ugly car, you are richer than 84% of the world. If you live at the stated poverty level in the U.S., meaning you have four people in your family and you only earn $22,500 a year, if you are at the stated poverty level in the U.S., you are still amongst the 89% of the world. If you have food in the refrigerator and clothes on your back and a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank or in your wallet or some spare change in a dish at home, you're among the top 8% of the world. If you can read today, you're ahead of 2 billion people in the world. If you were just to make, if you only made 2000 and $200 this year, if that's all you could make this year was $2,000 and $200 this year, you would still be in the world's top 15% richest people in the world. We spend money on things, $8 on organic apples, and that, that, uh, that could buy 15 fruit trees in Honduras. $73 we spend on our cell phone bill, and that could underwrite a mobile health care clinic for orphans with AIDS in Uganda. It's the one that hurts the most. $2,400 we spend on the next generation HDTV could pay for a whole generation of schooling for children in an Angolan village. If you really want to take it serious and find out how rich you are, go to this website, write it down. www.globalrichlist.com globalrichlist.com. Go home and just do an experiment. Simple website, globalrichlist.com. Plug in your household income and how many people live in your house, and it'll tell you how rich you are. I did it. I found out I'm amongst the top 3.8% richest people in the world. I make 21, more, 21 times more than a typical person in the world. After giving 10% to Jesus... After giving 10% to the Lord, I still make, I'm still in the top 4.5% of the world, and I only make 19 times more than the typical person in the world now. You see, you guys, the question isn't why has God blessed some people with resources? The question is why has God blessed us with resources? Why has he blessed us with resources? He blessed us with resources so we would be generous. You give and he blesses. And you give more and he blesses. And you give more and he blesses and you give more and he blesses. It's a vicious cycle of generosity. This church, when I was 18 years old, 
said, Dave, we want to be a part of sending you to school. I remember that day in your office. You want to learn the Bible? We want to send you. What was I doing at a private college? And then I went on to, to, to go to a private university for a master's degree. And this church says, we want to help you. There are people right now helping me go to get a doctorate. Lord, there's going to be a day where you're going to bless. And I want to send five. You let me send five. If they want to learn the word, I want to send five. Let me send five. You give, and you give more. And he blesses so that you can give more. And he blesses so you can give more. Does anybody have a goal to give more? I represent the deacons, our staff, and our elders when I issue this challenge for you today. A lot of you guys got a little note in the mail or a little letter in the mail with all of our signatures on it this week. A little card on it looks like this. We want to challenge you for the next 90 days to live on 90% of your income. We want you to take God for a ride. Take him for a roller coaster ride. Say, God, I'm going to test you in this area. It's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me in it. You live on 90% for 90 days, and you give 10% to the Lord. See if you're missing anything after 90 days. See if God surprises you with some source of income. See if God will prove himself faithful in this area to you and your family. At the end of 90 days, if you feel upside down, it has not worked out, God has not been faithful to his promises, you come to the church, we'll look up what we have for you given the last 90 days, and we'll cut you a check for it back. Now, we're not trying to cover for God on this one. you got to understand. It's not like we've got God's back. We believe his word. We believe this is true. We believe it'll happen. So in essence, we're saying to you, we're saying to you, we believe this thing, and if it doesn't work out, then it's not true. Let's just rip this page out of the Bible then. Just rip it out. Is it true or is it not? So we call you to a decision. There's two boxes on the card. One says, I want to start for the first time to commit myself to living on 90% for the next 90 days. I'm going to give 10% to the Lord. If that's who you check that box. If you're already giving to the Lord on a regular basis at, at 10% level, you write the other box. I'm, I'm going to continue doing that and continue seeing his blessings on my life. We believe it's true. We're going to have the choir come up and we're going to sing one last song. And at any point in that song, once you feel led, you check the box. Put your email at the bottom if you want us to encourage us. We don't even ask your name. We're not going to look you up. We're not going to come searching for you. You put your X, you come up here, you drop it at the steps of the, of the stage. It's a beautiful thing in the first service when you see cards just mount up. I'm going to leave my Bible out there on this passage. It'll be on 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to take God for a test, you take this card, you drop it up here. We'll see God do something in 90 days. I can't wait to hear the stories. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for every different type of family represented right now in this church. There's a family that's struggling, saying to themselves, I don't know that I can do that. 
Really, God? Live off of 90%? You know, you know what our balances look like? You know what the, the bank account looks like? Really? Are you really going to come through with us and uh, come through for us in 90 days? Oh, I pray you give them the passion to trust, to trust you, that they could see you do it. There's families here that, that are doing fine, abounding. And you know what? 10% is too small for them. Doesn't reflect the sacrifice anymore. Oh, I pray that you give them a heart to be generous. That as we test you and we give and you bless and we give more and you bless and you give more and you bless, that we can get caught in the middle of this vicious cycle of generosity. I pray you bless this church and every family in it that wants to believe your word is true and will take the test and go on a ride with you.